I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and the bulletin is, uh, it says that we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 14. Really, we're going to look at verses 10 and 11. Just two verses. But we're going to read 8 through 14. Luke 2, beginning in verse number 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. One of the oldest and most well-known songs of the Christmas season, one you heard this morning, is God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. There's quite the legend surrounding the history of this old English carol, but it's probably written somewhere in the late 15th, early 16th century. And you heard it this morning, so you heard the, the lyrics at least, and we all know the first line. I wonder if you've ever considered what that song is saying. What does that does it mean? If you've ever really thought about what the song is saying, you might have come across what I think is the million dollar question. Have you ever asked this question? This is the most important one, I think. Where does the comma go? And you're like, I, what's a comma again? I can't remember that. Where does the comma belong in the, the title and in the first line, God rest ye merry gentlemen? Now, some of you might have never even thought about it, and many of you probably don't care. If you're a word nerd, or you're part of the grammar police, you know know who you are. Then you know it's kind of a big deal where this comma goes. Does the Mary describe the gentleman? God rest ye, Mary gentlemen. Or does it go with the first part of the phrase? God rest ye merry, gentlemen. Big difference. Partly because this has now become an archaic phrase, and partly because of the way that it's sung, you might suppose the comma goes after the ye. God rest you, merry gentlemen. But you would be wrong. It actually goes earlier than that. It's supposed to go, God rest ye merry, gentlemen. The phrase, God rest ye merry, is not commonly used today, but it used to be a pretty familiar common saying, in, like I said, in the 15th, 16th century. It means something like, may God keep you in harmony and in happiness. That's why we use the phrase, Merry Christmas. 
It's kind of like a blessing. May God make you and keep you merry or happy. So then we have to ask, why does the singer care so much if I am resting merry? Why is he so concerned that we let nothing us dismay? Because the song goes on and tells us why. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy. Today we're looking at the third emotion of Christmas. Two weeks ago we looked at the emotion of anticipation. Last week we looked at the emotion of fear. Today I want to look at joy. We all want to be happy at Christmas time. And we all try really hard. But we don't all succeed, do we? Not just us in this room, but just people in general. People who are celebrating Christmas this year want to be happy, but not all of them will succeed. Not everybody finds joy at Christmas. Now maybe for a moment they do. A little sliver of happiness, or what they assume is joy. Maybe someone sends them a thoughtful card, or a deliciously decorated cookie. I love Christmas cookies. Or a beautifully wrapped gift. And receiving that, even for a split second, there's a moment of happiness. At the very least, someone thought of me. That looks delicious. I'm going to enjoy this. And at least in that little moment, there's something like joy present. We kind of have this habit of manufacturing this kind of happiness. Not just at Christmas, but all the time. I have to ask, how long does that kind of happiness last? I remember as a kid, my dad telling me, money doesn't buy happiness, Tim. And I always responded, give me a dollar and watch me smile. There's some truth in that. If I were to come up to you and just give you something even as insignificant as a dollar. There's a little bit of happiness there. Or if I gave you even a piece of candy, there's a little bit of happiness there. There's thought behind the gift. You thought of me. You gave me this. A dollar doesn't go very far in today's economy. A piece of candy is quickly eaten and forgotten. So then we're either left to repeat the process, i.e., find another dollar or another piece of chocolate or we need to find something that is more substantial and lasting joy. For the millions, perhaps billions of people who are going to celebrate Christmas next Sunday who hope to find joy whether it be in the gifts or in the family time the parties or whatever it is that they will do, how many of them will still be joyful on Monday or by January? Does the manufactured Christmas spirit last? If it did, if it truly brought joy, then why didn't it work last year? 
Why are there still so many unhappy and miserable people in this world? Even after they celebrate Christmas. Is it broken? Let's just think about Christians for a moment. Think about us. Can you honestly say that you have joy this season? Joy that lasts? How many of us believe that we'll still have that joy when the lights come down? When we get to that point when we can't eat another Christmas cookie? Or when the TV and the radio stations go back to their regularly scheduled programming? Christmas is a memory. Will you still have joy? Is joy dependent on us to buy it or make it? Or does it come from someplace else? This morning I want to consider the reason for joy at Christmas. And not just your regular run-of-the-mill joy. I'm talking about lasting joy. And as we make the case for joy at Christmas, like all of the other emotions, we're learning how to have joy all year long. We can have joy at Christmas because of Christmas. We can have joy all year long. Because of Christmas. And of course, the reason for our joy in Christ is Christ. There's no secret there. Jesus puts the Mary in Christmas. Now, just as I showed you last week that fear is a common theme throughout the Christmas story, so is joy. And I want you to notice how often joy is present leading up to and after Christmas both at the announcement of Christ's coming and at His arrival, there was great joy. Now, if you're quick, you can see these. I'm just going to show you Luke and and, uh, 1 and 2. The angel told Zechariah in Luke 1.14 that because he would have a son, you will have joy and gladness. Now, this is not just because you're going to have a son in his old age, but because he was going to have a son who would prepare the way for the Messiah. Baby John leaped for joy in his mother's womb, in Elizabeth's womb, when Mary arrived pregnant with, with Jesus in Luke 1.44. In Luke 1.41 and 1.44, both, both Elizabeth and John were happy. And even there, Mary exclaims at the beginning of her song, Luke 1.47, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, it probably happened long after Jesus was born, but in Matthew 2, verse 10, it says that when the Magi went searching for the one who was born King of the Jews, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with, you guessed it, great joy. There's joy in our text in Luke 2. And as I said, it's not just the regular kind of joy. but It's the good stuff. It's great joy. Look at verse 10. The angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. When the angel appeared to the shepherds, he began by telling them not to be afraid. Why? Why shouldn't you be afraid? Why shouldn't you be quaking in your boots? Because he brought them a good and glad message. 
Literally, he told them, I evangelize great joy to you. To bring good news is all one word. It's evangelism. It's gospel. I evangelize great joy to you. I have good news for you. And this gospel, this good news, is exceedingly joyful. The angel had not come to terrify them, to make them afraid, but to make them full of joy. And for what? What's the reason for this great joy? Because a Savior has been born today in Bethlehem. The Savior is Christ, Messiah, the Lord. And this good news wasn't just for the shepherds, but it says for all the people. And again, not simply because Christ was born. But notice, it says He was born unto you or for you. Now initially, this was directed to the Jewish people. Unto you is born this day, and for all the people. It's, 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 it's specifically beginning with the, the Jews. But the Old Testament has already hinted to us about it. And the New Testament has shown that Gentiles are now included in this. We too are the recipients of this good news. Christ was born for us. As the song goes, Christ the babe was born for you. And that's what Christmas is all about. It's telling the good news. The good news that brings great joy. And it's specifically about the telling of the good news. And the hearing of the good news. Think with me. The shepherds didn't have joy when Christ was born. They didn't even know about it. They needed someone to tell them. They needed to hear about it. And they needed to know that He had been born for them. And when they did, it brought them great joy. And if people are going to have joy at Christmas, real lasting joy, it's going to start with hearing the good news. They must know that Christ was born for them. If Christmas is going to have any kind of lasting impact in their lives. Otherwise, it's just an empty holiday. John Calvin said that these verses show us that until men have peace with God and are reconciled to Him through the grace of God, all the joy that they experience is deceitful and of short duration. He said, it's full of smoke. There are people out there that will tell you they have joy at Christmas, but what Calvin is saying is it's just smoke because they don't have peace with God. But see, the wonderful thing about these verses is that the knowledge of Christ is all we need to have joy at Christmas. To borrow from the great poet Dr. Seuss, Christmas comes without ribbons, Without tags, without packages, boxes, or bags. All you need is Christ. To get the full effect of Christmas, all you need is Jesus. And if we know Christ, and if we have Christ, then we have both the knowledge and the source of real, lasting joy. Not just for Christmas time. All the time. 
The shepherds didn't have joy because of their Christmas traditions and annual parties. They did not have joy through cards and cookies and carols. They didn't have joy in parties and presents. Their great joy came through the hearing and the telling of the good news that Christ was born for them. Christian, if you know that Christ is born for you, then you have everything you need this year to have a joyous and merry Christmas. And while the world around us desperately tries to find some measure of happiness in their parties and presents, we who know and have Christ can rest merry, whether you're a gentle man or a gentle woman. Whether you're home for the holidays or celebrating Christmas alone this year. It won't matter if you're making new memories or only remembering ones from the past. It won't matter if your stocking is full or if the Grinch has stolen all of your stuff. You have Christ. So then you may rest merry because of Jesus. So if you have that kind of knowledge and if you have this Christ, then this Christmas, I want to encourage you, urge you to celebrate Christmas with joy, for your sake, and for everybody else's too. Christians ought to celebrate Christmas better than anyone. Because we have real joy. We have the real reason. We know and have Him who was born for us. But we need to ask ourselves, how many things must we add to Christmas before we find joy? How far do you have to look? Or how many things do you need to add or buy before you have a Merry Christmas? Does Christmas joy depend on whether you can make a magical memory? Does everything really hinge on whether the whole family is home for the holidays? Or if you get everything on your list? These are all fine and wonderful things, but I think that if we think they'll make or break the holiday, we've lost the focus. And we will never find joy. In 1871, on Christmas Sunday, at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, Charles Spurgeon talked to his church about people who, quote, look out of and beyond what Christ allows at Christmas. And he was talking about people who he said that they snatch from the tables of Satan the delicacies with which to adorn the banquet held in honor of a Savior. Basically saying, celebrating what Jesus offers is not enough. I need to go and find the other things. But he says, the joy which the Gospel brings is not borrowed, but blooms in its own garden. In other words, he was telling his church we do not need to look outside of Christ to find joy this holiday. If we're lacking joy, you need to look deeper and closer at Christ, not away from Him. Because Jesus provides everything that is needed for you and for me to have a merry Christmas. Christmas joy is not borrowed from the world. It blooms in Christ.
Now, I'm not talking about or against finding fresh perspectives in the same reason for the season. There's a difference between that and searching for something new to keep it from getting old and stale. The good news never gets stale. But sometimes our remembering does. Our traditions and our celebrations can help us with that. But we shouldn't observe them to make the season joyous. Jesus does that part fine by Himself. Our traditions and our celebrations can help us celebrate the good news that brings us great joy. They can help us to remember it. They can help us to tell it to others. So whatever your Christmas traditions are, and I love to hear what different people do, let me encourage you to make Christmas a big deal in your family. Because the good news is a big deal. Because having real joy is a big deal and a rarity in this world. The world has enough pain and sorrow in it. And this week, and they have for a while, try to put on a smile and create, manufacture, joy. But if you're a Christian, then however you do it, let people see real Christian hope and happiness in your celebration. Yeah, as Christians, we have our own share of pain and distress. I like what Calvin wrote. He says, by calling it great joy, the angel shows us that this blessing is so great and boundless as to fully compensate for all the pains and distresses and anxieties of this present life. If you have joy, it makes up for all the rest of it. So then let your friends and your neighbors see that your knowledge of Jesus means great joy despite all of the troubles of this life. Encourage you to celebrate so intentionally and so intensely, so energetically that your children can both see and desire the joy that is found only in Christ. Find ways, whether they're old or new, to tell the good news in everything you do at Christmas. Tell it to yourself, to those who know it best. Let us encourage one another with good news of great joy. And then let us go and tell it to a weary world so that they can rejoice with us. Jesus has come, and yet not all have joy. They must hear about it or hear it again. And they must know the good news that Christ was born and they must believe that he was born for them. Quote Spurgeon again. He said, The gospel is above all things intended to promote and will most abundantly create the greatest possible joy in the human heart wherever it is received. So hear the good news. Christ was born. and He was born for you. So may God rest ye, Mary. Let's pray.
Almighty God, our Father. You've not only fulfilled your promise to redeem and send a Savior, but you have sent us messengers and angels and prophets and apostles to tell us the good news. And by your grace and mercy, there is truly good news for people everywhere. Help us both to know and to share this news that Christ is born for us. Fill our hearts with great joy at this wonderful news. Let us find joy in the Christ who has come for us. We pray through Jesus who was born and died and rose and ascended to reign with you in the Spirit now and forevermore. Amen.